We ask, Lord, that all of our thoughts as we reflect on this passage of Scripture, all of my words, uh, that all of these would be pleasing to you, that you would take them and use them to make us more like your Son. We praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I teach uh, at Friends, um, I teach an Old Testament survey course um, and a course on the Psalms. Um, and I teach the Old Testament survey course. It's a gen ed course, which means that the people who come to this class don't want to come to this class. They think that it's kind of an easy class. So the, the goal is to inspire them to find something fascinating that might help them connect uh, with the Old Testament. And one of the primary uh, questions I have them ask as they're reading through the Old Testament is, why is it the way it is? And I think that's always a good question for us, whether we're gen ed students at Friends who are looking for an easy class, uh, an easy elective, or whether we are uh, long-time, mature, growing Christians, I want to encourage us to ask the question, whenever we're reading the Gospel of Mark especially, why is this story here? Why do we bother with this? Why do we have the Bible in the form that we have it? Um, I think this, this question helps us understand what the Bible says. So when we ask, specific to tonight, why did Mark include the healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, the answer or the speculations that we might have around that question, I think can lead us to hearing God's voice, hearing God's message to us. So the question is, why are we reading about Simon Peter's mother-in-law getting healed? In the NRSV Bible that I read from, um, this encounter is described in three sentences. And, uh, and these are three sentences that seem to be like the connective tissue between one event and another event. These, it's just a, a transition passage, it seems. But I want you to consider this. Peter's mother-in-law gets healed in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's all, in all of those stories, it's a, it's a brief story, in all those gospels rather, it's still a brief story. And consider this, the story of Jesus being born is not included in Mark or John. It's only in two gospels. The parable of the prodigal son is only in one gospel. The Lord's prayer is not included in the gospel of John. So why is this little three sentence story included in all three gospels? I think the fact that it is there is really important. That doesn't mean that we know exactly why or that we can say definitively this is why it's there. But why does her healing get so much coverage? So talking about this verse, St. Jerome, some of you may be familiar with him from the fourth century, uh, talking about this passage, he says this. He says, faith beholds Jesus among us. If we are unable to seize his hand, let us prostrate ourselves at his feet. If we are unable to reach his head, let us wash his feet with our tears. Our repentance is the perfume of the Savior. See how costly is the compassion of the Savior. Faith beholds Jesus among us. If we're unable to seize his hand, let us prostrate ourselves at Jesus' feet. So with Jerome's words in mind, let's speculate for a couple of moments on the question, why is Peter's mother-in-law healed? 
One idea is that God really, really, really loves in-laws. I can attest to that. Uh, I, have, I think I saw one of my in-laws just a few minutes ago on the computer screen. Uh, but I don't think this is how he would have communicated that idea. I don't think he really needed to do it in this, in this passage. A second one, and this is something that some scholars suggest, they say that God, that this passage is, is there to remind us that God really approves of marriage, that God likes marriage. Uh, and they suggest this uh, because Peter, uh, it's, it's highlighting the fact that Peter is married and that there's no reason that Peter being a disciple of Jesus, that his discipleishness isn't a blessing, not just to his wife, but to his wife's family. And that's, my response to that question would be, that's not wrong. Um, and it's also, I don't think it's the point at all. Um, a third option is that the disciples didn't know how to make a sandwich. And God had to raise somebody from the dead to feed them. Um, of course, no serious person claims this. Um, Nobody's saying that, uh, that Jesus had to raise this woman because they couldn't find where the food was in the house. It's interesting, though, as soon as she's raised back to life, she begins serving him, which I hope we can take joy in that fact. It's not, this is not a denigration of, uh, of Peter's mother-in-law at all. Um, she's the one in charge of that house, and if there are folks there, um, it, it would be cruel not to allow her to serve and do uh, do the things that came naturally to her. Uh, we, we always have to be careful about applying our 21st century sensibilities to the first century. Another reason uh, could be that Peter's recollections are behind Mark's account. And Luke and Matthew just borrowed what Mark wrote. And that really could be true, but it still doesn't answer the deeper question, which is, why bother at all? Why does God's Spirit, the one I believe to be ultimately responsible for scripture, bother to keep this story in three of the four gospels. So the question that we're asking is not so much, why is it there, but what is it doing for us? What does it mean? Again, I like what Jerome said. He said, faith beholds Jesus among us. Jerome's point is that the woman, was near, the woman that was near death could not stay that way in the presence of Jesus. Think about that. She's very sick, but she could not stay that way in Jesus' presence. She couldn't help herself, or rather, she couldn't keep herself from getting healed and from standing up, being resurrected in the presence of the disciples. Healing is what Jesus does. It's one of the big things that Jesus does. And in a case like this, uh, he did not have to try very hard to heal Peter's mother-in-law. And a great little thing to pay attention to is that that phrase there about her standing up is also the language that's used later on when it talks about Jesus being raised up. Not the specific word resurrection, but Jesus uh, being raised up again. So let's keep this in mind. It's in God's nature to heal. What if this is the message we're supposed to get from the story of Peter's mother-in-law? It is Jesus' desire to heal us. It is God's nature. Uh, it is a major part, by the way, of Jesus' ministry to heal. Uh, when we read, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the accounts that we get are of Jesus' teaching, a lot of teaching, a lot of healing, a lot of teaching, a lot of healing. It's as if one week he's like, I'm only teaching this week. If you want a healing, come back next. Um, 
that's just how they wrote it. I don't think that's how it really worked out. So, so just prior to this story, Jesus is healing, and he's also casting out demons. And that ministry continues on, and it goes beyond just Peter's mother-in-law. So last week, we examined Jesus casting a demon out of a man in the synagogue. This week, he heals this mother-in-law and goes on a brief healing and de-demonizing tour. And then we have what I just read as we got started, which is this encounter with the leper, where Jesus' healing nature, which really does represent the healing spirit of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, but where Jesus' healing nature is revealed again. The leper doesn't really ask to be made clean. It doesn't mention that he's begging and pleading, but the language that he uses is really interesting. He looks at Jesus and he says, if you choose, you can make me clean. Why did the Lord heal this leper? The leper really didn't ask. I mean, we can, there's some options, I suppose. The Lord healed him uh, because he was impressed with the leper's boldness. I don't think that's it at all. Maybe he was impressed with his faith. I don't think he was that impressed with his faith. I think Jesus must have appreciated that all those, though this guy was a leper, he was still being a man's man, saying what he thought and not doing any small talk. That's, that's a, uh, kind of an inside joke for me. Um, but I don't think that's it. Why is this story here about the leper? And why is the language so unusual? If you choose, you can make me clean, almost as if he's daring Jesus. But of course, Jesus' words reveal Jesus' nature. And Jesus' words are, I do choose, be made clean. I do choose, be made clean. Jesus' nature is to heal. Jesus' nature is to bring healing. God's nature is to heal. Um, Growing up, I heard about a place called Truth or Consequences a lot. Uh, have any of you ever been to Truth or Consequences, New Mexico? Um, it, uh, it's a town that's named after a game show in the 50s, I guess. It was, before that, it was named Hot Springs. But, uh, uh, but some radio show, there was a big contest. We thought that was just a recent thing, but it, it's been happening for a long, long time. And Truth or Consequences, or Hot Springs, New Mexico, was the name was changed to Truth or Consequences. My grandparents, uh, who were great, pious Christian people, um, who were in church every Sunday morning, um, would on occasion skip church or leave church early, just after communion but before the sermon, so they could drive to Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, and sit in the hot springs. Uh, they claimed that sitting in the hot springs were reinvigorating, they were life-giving somehow, they were healing. And they weren't, these aren't the type of people to do that kind of thing very much, but they really, they really enjoyed their time there. Um, and the reality is they had a nice enough house. Uh, they had a big tub. They could have drawn a really nice hot, steaming hot bath at home any old time they wanted. But there's something about being in truth or consequences that made it better for them. And maybe there really is something in the, uh, in the water uh, maybe it's the, uh, the oppressive sunlight in southern New Mexico. Um, 
Maybe it was the drive in a uh, 1960s Pontiac without air conditioning. I'm not sure what it was that caused them to enjoy it so much, but there was something about the presence of the hot springs that made them go, that made them enjoy it, that made them feel better. Our gospel reminds us that Jesus wants healing to happen and that healing happens in his presence. Healing happens in his presence. There's, there's also accounts where healing happens without Jesus' presence, where Jesus heals from a distance. But in today's part of the story, it's his presence that is healing. I think we all know that the church is not the only way that Christ is active in the world. But I will say, and I don't think I'm overstating it, to say that the church is the most important means through which Christ is present in the world. What does Paul, what does St. Paul say about the church? How does he describe the church? The church is the body of Christ, Christ's body. The very means that we have of being present to one another is through our bodies. Now, some of you are going, but wait a minute, I'm across town on Zoom looking at you through a screen. Well, you're looking at my body, and I realize with this black sweater, it looks like my head's just floating, doesn't it? Anyway, just saw that. Um, but even though we're looking, and now we're all going to be distracted. I'm coming to the most important stuff. Um, some of you are just feeling sorry for me for noticing. Uh, others of you, well, hopefully, anyway, moving on. Um, you are present, even though you're not present in this room. You used your hands to log on to your computers. You've used your voice to speak. You've used your fingers to type in the chat. The, the point is, we can't escape. The only way that we are present as human beings is through this body that we have. So when St. Paul calls the church the body of Christ, that's a big deal. I mean, I, I would like to describe it as a metaphor plus. It's, it is a metaphor, but it's not merely a metaphor, that there is in some real meaningful way we are the physical embodiment of Jesus in this world. And if the church is Christ's presence on earth, shouldn't it be a healing presence? I think we would all agree that it should be a healing presence. And I think that when we are not a healing presence, it's not so much when Christ has disappeared as much as it is when we have forgotten that he's there or when we have forgotten to pay attention to his presence. Again, going back to the story of, uh, of, of Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus comes in, he heals her, she stands up. It's as if she can't remain seated. Um, if Jesus were to come into this room physically in the flesh, he's already here. But if he was to walk in and we all knew exactly who he was, I don't think any of us would remain seated. We might stand or we might kneel or we might cover our heads. I'm not sure what we would do. But there would be some kind of response. So if the church is Christ's presence on earth, we need to be a healing presence. And I think worship is participating in the presence of Jesus. What we're doing tonight, again, this is not the only time that we're in Christ's presence, but it is a critically important time that we're in Christ's presence. 
I think this is the source or the origination of healing, is this place of worship. Again, like Peter's mother. Mother-in-law, she stands up in the presence of Jesus. So all the things that we love, things like justice and restoration, social action or political action, all these things are all good, or at least they can be good things. But separate from the source of what makes them good, which is Jesus, separate from that source, they are doomed to fail. Chris Kettler from Friends University and I were having a conversation this week about uh, different Baptist theologians. And there's these two uh, Baptist theologians who are pacifists. And Chris called them rabid pacifists. I hope that kind of hangs in your head a little bit. That's kind of a funny statement, isn't it? Rabid uh, pacifists. Um, and his point is that they embrace pacifism. They embrace pacifism more than they embrace Christ. They embrace a, uh, an ideology, if you will, a philosophy, an idea, more, they, more than they are embracing the person who is to animate that idea. So let's keep in mind these, these things that we participate in the world that we hope are healing actions are only healing if they're animated by the spirit of Jesus. And in the year 2020, we've had opportunities to see a lot of things happen that were not animated, given life by the Spirit of Jesus. The church in worship is God's healing presence. Now, I don't mean the church in its worship services, although that's true too. But the church in worship is God's healing presence. The church, wherever she's gathered, in person or on Zoom or in some combination, in a coffee shop, in our homes, at Hilltop, in our workplaces, the church is God's healing presence there. If only we will stand up like Peter's mother-in-law did. If only we'll stand up like Peter's mother-in-law did in the presence of Jesus. And by the way, she didn't stand up in defiance. She didn't stand up in anger or aggression. She stands up in worship of Jesus, worship and service. She stands up in Jesus' presence again because she can't help herself. Quite frankly, like I said earlier, if you were to walk into this room, I don't think we could help ourselves either. Perhaps, again, we would kneel, perhaps we would stand, who knows. But in day-to-day -day life, are we going to pay attention to the reality of Christ's presence and stand up in it? in worship and thus be a healing presence in the world. There's a quote I want to throw up on the screen for you. One of my favorite writers of the last year or two is a guy named Willie Jennings, Willie James Jennings. Um, he's got a great little commentary on the book of Acts. Um, he wrote, or he gives a sermon, uh, he gave a sermon at Fuller entitled, Can White People Be Saved? And uh, the question will surprise you. Um, so, you know, if you want to go check that out. But Willie Jennings has this little quote that I want to share with you that I think is really good. He says, we who follow Jesus are working in wounds, working with wounds, and working through wounds. We who follow Jesus are working in wounds, we're working with wounds, and we're working through wounds. As we worship together and as we serve together, as we pray for the world and one another together, 
we are going to remain wounded to a certain extent and we're going to be wounded again and maybe again and again. I think all of us come to Jesus sick in some way and some of our sicknesses are taking longer to heal than others. Some of our sicknesses are taking a long time to heal. It's not quite like maybe what it was for Peter's mother-in-law. But even though we are wounded and suffering and, and still sick in a way, it, it's not as if we're going to get all that cleared up before we're invited to participate in the healing of other people. Our suffering doesn't stop us serving. It doesn't stop our worshiping. It doesn't stop us proclaiming what is true about God and what's true about us. Our suffering doesn't stop us because it is in our woundedness that we're getting healed and participating in the healing of other people. Many of you are familiar with Henry Nouwen. He has a wonderful book from 60 years ago now, probably, called The Wounded Healer. Um, and if you never read the book, just remember that title. <laughs> the title is worth a lot. Um, Jesus heals us, by the way, through his wounds. We easily forget that. As we wrap up, I want to just come to you with a couple of questions. The first question is this, and it comes from uh, Jesus' encounter with Peter's mother-in-law. Are we aware of the presence of Jesus? Are you aware of the presence of Jesus? Are you aware of his presence in this room? Uh, I remember this hymn growing up, uh, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. I can't remember. I can't believe I just remembered those two lines. Um, and, and it's just very kind of sweet, syrupy. Uh, it's a great song. The melody was irritating, but, um, and that's why I remember it. Um, but I'm not talking about just those ecstatic moments where we recognize, where we sense, where we feel it. Are we aware of Jesus' presence in the other times? When we are bored, <laughs> are you aware of the presence of Jesus when you're bored? When you're just depressed, when you're angry, when you're tired, hungry, whatever it is, uh, are we aware of the presence of Jesus? Are we paying attention to when he walks into the room where we might be laying ill or struggling in our own sin or fearful of whatever the next step in our life is? Jesus heals. He heals. And, and are we going to pay enough attention to him to let him do that? So I think I asked several questions there, but the main one I wanted you to think about is, are you aware of the presence of Jesus? And then the second one was from the story of the leper. Uh, he, he tells Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus says, uh, I'm willing, I'm willing. So <laughs> are we willing to be healed? And are we willing to heal? I think all of us know when we've lived with stuff for a long time that part of the reason that we've lived with it a long time is because we love it. 
or because we're attached to it in some kind of symbiotic relationship that just that we're unable to get out of. My question is, are we willing to be healed? Are we willing to be and thus be agents of healing? Um, it's going to cost us. Sometimes we treat Christian faith as if, as if it doesn't cost anything. It costs an awful lot. It costs an awful lot. I'm going to close tonight by reading to you a, uh, out of the little field guide to daily prayer. Um, and this is actually a prayer that's taken from the uh, Book of Common Prayer, one that we've probably heard before. And it's under the heading for quiet confidence. But I want to use this as kind of the closing uh, to tonight's talk. O God of peace, who has taught us that in returning and rest we shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be our strength. By the might of your spirit lift us, we pray, to your presence, where we may be still and know that you are God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord.